Amen. Church family, would you take God's word and join me in the book of 2 Samuel, Old Testament book of 2 Samuel chapter 9, 2 Samuel chapter 9, Matthew, Wyatt, Daisy, thank you guys so much for being willing just to come and just kind of be super open and honest and vulnerable with us. It's just a helpful moment for us to hear from you guys, so Thank you so much. Here's my aim in, in these few moments, Second Samuel chapter 9. My aim is to remind us uh, from God's Word that the care of those with special needs, it is rooted in the work of the Gospel. So if we are born again by the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, then what that means one of the applications for us is that we will come alongside of and care for those with special needs. And so the idea this morning is, as you see on the screen there, the gospel and special needs within the local church. And so as we've been engaging this weekend regarding special needs, how do we love and care and serve for those? We're coming to a place this morning where we want to say that it's our desire to rightly love and serve those with special needs and then to, uh, as we can, uh, to integrate them into the life and the body here at Faith Family. And this is true. This is our heart's desire because of Matthew chapter 22 verses 36 to 40. You remember the moment where Jesus perfectly sums up the law and the prophets by saying that the greatest commandment is what? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second commandment is like it, which is what? To love your neighbor as yourself. And so what Jesus is doing is he's taking those two commandments from the law and he's wrapping them together as they were always intended to be and saying that the sum of the law, the sum total of everything in the law is to love the Lord your God with all that you are and then to love your neighbor as yourself. So then for us, those who have received so much grace and kindness from God, we must then turn around in light of that and show that same grace, that same kindness, love and mercy toward our neighbor. The fruit that the gospel produces in us. And this is not going to be optional. This is absolutely the the necessary fruit that the gospel works in us is that we will have a deep and abiding love for our fellow image bearers, especially those that society overlooks, especially those who can offer us nothing in the way of worldly advancement. And so we see this laid out most clearly and beautifully for us in 2 Samuel chapter 9. So what we're seeing in this chapter is that the love of our neighbor, and then specifically those with special needs, that our love for neighbor is rooted and flows out of the work of the gospel in our lives. 2 Samuel chapter 9 shows us that the care of those with special needs and their families, that that is rooted in the reality of what? That Christ has seen the disabling effect of sin in our lives, what it has done in our relationship to Him, but anyway, He has come into it. 
He has stepped into it to make it right, to make it whole, to redeem and restore and to seat us eternally at His banqueting table. Because we have been shown such great kindness by King Jesus, we will show that same kindness to all humanity and we will not overlook image bearers with special needs. So 2 Samuel chapter 9 is before us. You remember sort of the events that have led us to 2 Samuel chapter 9. David was the anointed king, uh, but, but Saul was kind of still on the throne, although the kingdom had been taken from him. David kills Goliath uh, as a result of that. Saul brings David into his home to live with them. David and Saul's son Jonathan are going to immediately strike up just this beautiful covenant friendship. They will come together in covenant love and faithfulness to one another. But as that relationship progresses, you remember that Saul grows increasingly jealous of of David, of Lord's hand on David's life. And so before long, Saul begins to seek to kill David. And if you follow this all the way back to 1 Samuel chapters 19 and 20, you you read here of, of Saul's efforts to kill David, but you read of Jonathan, Saul's son, you read of Jonathan's effort to rescue David. And in the midst of all of this, in chapter 20 of 1 Samuel verse 42, there's a promise that is made between David and Jonathan. The Lord will be between me and you and between my descendants and your descendants forever. As the story goes on in 1 Samuel chapter 31, Saul and Jonathan are killed in battle against the Philistines. In 2 Samuel chapter 2, David is made king over the southern region of Judah. However, Saul had another son by the name of Ishbosheth. And the commander of Saul's army says, I don't want David as king. I want Saul's son, Ishbosheth. And so he puts him on the throne, and there is civil war in Israel. 2 Samuel chapter 5, Ishbosheth is dead, and the kingdom now comes under the rule and united reign of King David. To such a degree that in 2 Samuel chapter 8 and verse 15, we read that David reigned over all Israel. And David administered justice and righteousness for all his people. And so then by the time you get to 2 Samuel 9, there is now peace. And it is as though David sort of takes a breath for a moment. And he just reflects for a moment. And in so doing, he remembers his relationship with Jonathan and the covenant that the two of them made together back in 1 Samuel chapter 20. And so look in... 2 Samuel 9 and verse 1. We're just going to walk through the chapter together and then we're going to come back and we're going to make some particular points of application. Then David said, Is there yet anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? David begins to remember and to reflect and he remembers the covenant made between Jonathan and himself and he begins to ask those around him, is there anyone left of Saul's house to whom I may show kindness? The Hebrew word kesed here, it means 
loving kindness. It is the type of love, the faithful, binding, covenant, eternal love that God has for His people. That's the kind of love that David is referring to here when he asks, is there anyone left in Saul's house to whom I might show this kind of faithful, eternal, binding love and grace and mercy? Now that David is at peace, he remembers the promise between himself and Jonathan. And so he asks at the end of verse 1, is there anyone left to whom I might show kindness? And this language is so important for Jonathan's sake. Turn back to 1 Samuel chapter 20 for a moment. I've referenced it a couple times, but I want you to see this with me. 1 Samuel chapter 20, and look down to verse 14. 1 Samuel 20, look down to verse 14. Jonathan is speaking with David here as he seeks to protect David from his bloodthirsty father. 1 Samuel 20, verse 14. If I am still alive, will you not show me the loving kindness of the Lord that I may not die? You shall not cut off your loving kindness from my house forever. Not even when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of of the earth. This is the covenant promise that David has made with Jonathan. And so now, these years later, when David is at peace, the kingdom is united under him, he remembers the covenant promise that he makes to Jonathan, and he seeks to show kindness to the house of Saul. Look in verses 2 and 3. Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they, call, and they called him to David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. The king said, Is there not yet anyone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan who is crippled in both feet. Here in verse 3, we're introduced to Jonathan's son. We will learn his name down in verse 6. His name is Mephibosheth. And what we learn about him, first and foremost, at the end of verse 3, and this will be repeated at the end of verse 13, what we learn about Mephibosheth is that he is crippled in both feet. Back in 2 Samuel chapter 4, you read that after the deaths of Saul and Jonathan, his father, Mephibosheth's nurse scoops him up to run away from, to flee from the political turmoil that would so often follow when the death of a king would happen. She may have already known that Mephibosheth's uncle Ishbosheth had desires for the kingship. That he might even seek to exterminate all threats and all enemies. And so she scoops him up. He's five years old. She scoops him up to run away. But in the process of fleeing, she drops him. And as a result, we don't know exactly what happens there. But we know that the end result is that he is crippled in both feet. Verses 4 and 5. So the king said to him, where is he? Notice what David didn't do. David didn't say, nah, crippled in both feet. Mm, That's not the kind of person I'm looking for. 
David asked, where is he? He's crippled in both feet. Okay, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, behold, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, in Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. The specific location of Lodabar is unknown to us. However, we do know that it was east of the Jordan River. It was on the other side of the Jordan River, meaning that it was outside the promised land. It was not laid up in someone's house there in the confines of the land flowing with milk and honey. He was outside the camp, if you will. Outside the borders of the promised land. But David's order in verse 5 is to do what? Go get him, go to wherever he is, and bring him here to my house. David does so, remember, knowing that Mephibosheth is crippled in both feet. David seeks him out and brings him into his home for what purpose? For the purpose of showing kindness to the house of Saul. The covenant kindness of the king brings one with special needs into his home. David knows full well that Mephibosheth, though now an adult, 20 to 25 years old, David understands that Mephibosheth is not really going to be able to profit me in any measurable way, yet he does what? He seeks him out anyway and brings him into his home. David wants Mephibosheth in his presence. He wants him close. And so then, verses 6 and 7. Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and prostrated himself. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he said, here is your servant. David said to him, do not fear, for I will surely show kindness to you for the sake of your father Jonathan. And will restore to you all the land of your grandfather Saul, and you shall eat at my table regularly. Notice Mephibosheth's humility in verse 6. More on that in verse 8. But at the beginning of verse 6, he comes in and he does what? He falls down prostrate before the king. How difficult that must have been for a man lame in both feet. And notice how David begins to interact with him. He does not treat him as an enemy. He does not treat him as the grandson of the guy that tried to kill him multiple times over. He says four things to him in verse 7. What are they? Number one, do not fear. Mephibosheth, no doubt, when he got that knock on his door... And there is a messenger from the king there. Hey, King David would like a word. Can you imagine maybe the fear that would have run through his heart? My grandfather was Saul. Saul hated David, tried to kill him. David has exterminated all of his enemies. And I bet that what he wants right now is to strike me down strike me down and completely wipe out the house of Saul. 
David wants him to know, very first thing, Mephibosheth, you have no reason to fear right here. Do not fear. Secondly, Mephibosheth, I'm going to show kindness to you. Faithful, covenant, binding, eternal love, mercy, and grace to you. Thirdly, I'm going to restore to you all the land of your grandfather Saul. David doesn't have to do this. He's the king. I guess technically that land belongs to David. But Mephibosheth, I want to show kindness. And so now, all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, that's, that's yours. And then fourthly, in verse 7, you shall eat at my table regularly, Mephibosheth. And that's a refrain that gets repeated throughout the rest of the verses of chapter 9. David begins that process of pouring out loving kindness. Mephibosheth responds, verse 8, He prostrated himself and said, What is your servant that you should regard a dead dog like me? Once again, on his face before the king, Who am I? Who am I? I'm I'm nothing to you, David. I'm a dead dog. When, When he mentions dead dog, he's not talking about, you know, your little pet that runs around the house. Dogs in, in this society, this culture, were just, just ravenous, hated, despised. It's the lowest of the low. I'm, just a, I'm a dead dog to you, David. Why? Why would you show such kindness to me? But David doesn't stop there. Verses 9 to 13, look at this. The king called Saul's servant Ziba and said to him, All that belonged to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. You and your sons and your servants shall cultivate the land for him. And you shall bring in the produce so that your master's grandson may have food. Nevertheless, Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall eat at my table regularly. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so your servant will do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table. As one of the king's sons, Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all who lived in the house of Ziba were servants to Mephibosheth. So, Mephibosheth lived not in Lodabar, he lived in Jerusalem, where he ate at the king's table regularly. Now, he was lame in both feet. So David's kindness pours itself out repeatedly in verses 9 to 13. Hey, Ziba, you, your sons, your servants, you guys are going to work the land. And the produce of that land, you're going to bring back to Mephibosheth. And he's going to make a lot of profit on this and really be provided and cared for because he's not going to have to eat up his profits because he's going to eat at my table. We read three times regularly. He's going to sit there as the son of of the king church what is this story really about you can approach this two ways number one if you approach it this way you'll you'll miss the point and you'll miss the rest of your bible 
But you can't approach it this way, that this is just merely a story about being nice to people with special needs. Should we be kind to people with special needs? Absolutely. We're, we're saying that a lot this weekend. But that's not really what this story is about, is it? 2 Samuel chapter 9 is the beautiful, glorious picture of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. In this story, by the way, you and I are not the hero. We in this story are whom? We're Mephibosheth. It's a clear depiction of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that comes near to us and does what David did for Mephibosheth and infinitely more. Look back to verse 1. Is there anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show kindness for Jonathan's sake. David remembers what in that moment? He remembers his covenant with Jonathan. I swore to my good friend that I would not destroy his descendants when I became the king and destroyed all my enemies based out of that covenant promise, he seeks out Mephibosheth. And beloved, this is the Gospel. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4 tells us that before the very foundation of the world, God made a covenant with His chosen precious bride. This covenant would be established through the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. And therefore, God has bound Himself to His people. Not because of who they are, and not because of what they have done, but because of His covenant grace and mercy that He has initiated with them. God remembers His covenant to you, beloved, just as David did with Jonathan and has sought you out based on, again, not your works, but He has sought you out in His own faithful, merciful, loving kindness. According to His own heart of mercy, God has lavished His kindness on you to such a degree that as Romans 2.4 tells us, it is the kindness of God that has led you to repentance. You are a child of the King because of God's commitment to His covenant faithful promise to you. Look down to verses 3 and 5. Again, we are Mephibosheth in this story. Mephibosheth is what? He's crippled in both feet. What has our sin done to us? It's made us, Luke 14 that we read earlier, we're the lame. We're the crippled. We're the blind. We are the mute. 
Our sin has put scales before our eyes. It has disabled us. We cannot make ourselves right with God. We have nothing in ourselves by which we might come and be pleasing to the King. We have nothing that we can offer that makes ourselves acceptable to Him. We, like Mephibosheth, we are in low debar. We are outside the camp. We are outside the gate. He, we're not born into Jerusalem. We're born into the sin and the separation of low debar. We are outside the people of God. The promises are not belonging to us because we are separated from the King. But what does the King do? He seeks us out. He seeks us out in our sin. He seeks us out when we are separated from the family of God because we know that He has come, Luke 19 and verse 10, to seek and to save that which was lost. And so He sends forth the Gospel. And it comes to us. And it beckons us. And it moves us. And it saves us. And it brings us, verse 5, into the King's house. Verse 7, as David blessed Mephibosheth with quieting his fear-filled heart, as, she, as He has shown kindness, as He has restored. What has God done for us in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3? He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. He blesses not because Mephibosheth checked all the boxes, but according to His loving Kindness. And what does he do at the end of verse 7? He seats Mephibosheth at his table regularly. Beloved, you in Christ, you've been seated at the table of God. You've been seated at the wedding feast of the Lamb. By the blood of Jesus, your eternity is secure and you will be at the king's table forever. In verse 8, how does Mephibosheth respond? Here's how he doesn't respond. He doesn't respond with, man, I, I knew my ship would come in one day. He doesn't respond with, you know what, David, you're right. You're right. I deserve this stuff. How does he respond? Why would you be kind to a dead dog like me? Why, David? Beloved, do you remember that in Ephesians 2.1, we were dead in our trespasses and sins? you remember that? you remember the moment when you came to faith in Christ and you went from being dead to alive? You remember that moment where you could barely lift your eyes to say to God, why would you be so kind to a dead sinner like me? Mephibosheth doesn't strut his way 
into the throne room of the king. And anybody who tries to do that will not be granted access. The gospel reminds us that we are dead in our sin. God comes to us in that and saves us. And then the chapter of the story ends with the second proclamation that Mephibosheth was lame in both feet. In this culture, in many cultures around the world today, even in our own country, those with special needs are disregarded, isolated. They're not shown mercy and kindness. In fact, to such a degree that while pregnant, you may have a test done. And if your test reveals that your child has a disability, there's an option to terminate that life, that image bearer, simply because of a special need. That is the culture of death in which we live. And so then, to the church comes a different call. To the church comes the call to remember that you and I were Mephibosheth, that we have first received immense loving kindness from God and that the outworking of that is going to be how can I love you? How can I serve you? How can I include you and make you a part? Because that is what God in the Gospel has done for me. It is anti-Christ. It is anti-Gospel For someone to say, I have been told that I cannot darken the door of a church because my child has some kind of special need because we're too messy, because we're too loud, because it's too uncomfortable and difficult, that's not the gospel. It's not the gospel, beloved. If anybody... Anybody had a right to say, you know what, you can't come in here because you're too messed up, complicated, and messy. That would be God. But that is not what he has said. What has he said? Go to Lodabar and get him and bring him to my table in Jerusalem, the city of the king. Charles Spurgeon said this, though many of his people are spiritually as lame as Mephibosheth, Yet he remembers them and even deigns to invite them to sit at his table in familiar intercourse with him. The Lord is not ashamed of the poor, feeble friends of Jesus, but out of love to their well-beloved Lord and Master, he will grant to them to eat continually at the king's table, even though they be lame on both their feet. Don't you love that? You recall about David back in 1 Samuel 13 and verse 14 that he was called what? A man after God's own heart. And in caring for Mephibosheth in this way, David displays the heart of God. The heart of God which cares for the spiritually, physically weak and needy. Church family is those who seek to display God's heart by loving our neighbor as ourself. Beloved, this means that we will pursue those with special needs. Their autism will not frighten us. Them being loud will not cause us to run away. We will come to them. We will seek them out. 
We will love them. We will ask them to sit close to us. We will eat with them. We will provide for them. But most importantly, we will point them and their families to King Jesus. We will point them to King Jesus and thus we will assuage their fears. We will have Him restore all that has been taken. If there, be a, if there be a Mephibosheth anywhere who is lame, help him for Jonathan's sake. The last word there from, again, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. I'm so thankful for you, church. I'm so thankful by what I have witnessed from you. Just in six short months. I'm thankful for an ever increasing heart that seeks to see those who are unseen and love those that the world would call unlovable. Can I ask of us that we abound in this still more and more? We will declare and show the Gospel when we live it out to the Mephibosheths around us. In your heart, how do you need to respond to this? If you're not in Christ today, you've seen the good news of how you can be made right with God in Christ in 2 Samuel 9. God has provided a way through His Son and Him alone. Will you turn from your sin and come to Christ today? Beloved, in your own hearts, how do you need to respond to 2 Samuel chapter 9? In a moment, we're just going to sing together. We're going to sing, Jesus, thank You. And what we're going to sing is, once your enemy, now seated at your table. And as we sing that, let's let 2 Samuel 9 just reverberate through our hearts. Father, help us in that. God, give us grace for what lies ahead. God, there are a lot of questions that we don't have answers to. But God, we trust You. God, we trust that You have called us to love our neighbor as ourself. God, we love You. We love the good news of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And God, we want to live that out. And one of, just one of the ways that we do that is by drawing near, coming close to those with special needs. God, may it be, may it be known of faith family across this county, this area. May it be known that we love God with all that we are. And albeit imperfectly, we seek to love our neighbor as ourself. God, help us to never forget the Gospel. To never forget, oh God, that we were Mephibosheth. God, you came to us. Seated us at your table. And so now, 
God, your church declares our thanks to you for this. We ask, we pray it in Christ's great name. Amen.